So we are back in Exodus. Um, so if you want to turn with me to Exodus uh, chapter 5, um, it's on page 61 of the Bibles that were on your tables, if you've got one of those. My name's Scott, by the way. I'm one of the leaders of Grace Church, and I'll just um, be taking us through this passage over the next uh, little while. Um, so it's Exodus chapter 5, page 61, and I'm going to read from verse 1. It's under that subheading, Bricks Without Straw. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quarter of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quarter of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Let me pray and then we'll have a look at that. Father, thank you for this great story um, of Exodus. Uh, thank you for the ways you've spoken to us through it already over the last few weeks. And I pray, Father, that today as we look at it, that your spirit would work, that these words would come alive in our heart, that we would see Jesus, that we would um, know you better and want, to, and want to serve you. Amen. So the story of Exodus so far has been a dramatic one. God's people, the Hebrews, have been in Egypt and they've been forced into slavery. Back-breaking manual work for the despotic king, Pharaoh. But despite Pharaoh's power over them, he still feared the people. And so he ordered all the new born boys to be executed. They are oppressed, they are groaning, and they are crying out for relief. And God has heard them. 
God orchestrated for, for one of the boys who was due to be killed to be saved. Moses was plucked from the river Nile, the place of death, and brought up in the palace of Pharaoh. As Moses grew, he became aware of the plight of his people. He tried to do something about it. He went and killed one of the Egyptians who was beating one of the Hebrews, one of his people. But the problem there was he was, he was trying to rescue God's people in his own strength, and, and it didn't go well. In fact, he ended up having to flee for his own life. So he fled. And he ended up in a, a land called Midian, where he settled down. He became a farmer. He got married. He had children. And then, a long time later, aged 80, something extraordinary happened to him. As Moses was uh, tending the sheep, he came across a bush that was on fire but wasn't burning up. And from that bush came a voice, the voice of God. And God commissioned Moses to return to Egypt and to lead his people, the Hebrews, out of slavery into the land that had been promised to them years ago to their forefather, Abraham. Now, there was some kind of toing and froing uh, with a lot of reluctance on Moses' part. But eventually he set off back for Egypt. He met with Aaron, his brother, who was to be by his side when he faced Pharaoh. And by the end of chapter 4, all the pieces are in place. Moses and Aaron are together. They've met with all the leaders of, of the Hebrews. They've shown the miracles that God has given them um, and enabled them to do. Everyone is ready for what is going to happen next. The stage is set. Everyone's pumped. Well, let's see what happens next. Um, let me read those first four verses of chapter 5 again to get them back in our heads. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labour? Get back to your work. Now Moses goes to Pharaoh with a degree of kind of bravado, or maybe it's fear. He expects that when Pharaoh hears who it is that is telling him to let the people go, that it's the Lord, then surely he'll roll over. But Pharaoh's having none of it. Who is the Lord that I should obey him, he says. I don't know the Lord and I will not let them go. Now don't be mistaken here. Living amongst his people, Pharaoh has literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Hebrew people. They're his slaves. He will have made it his business to know their customs, to understand what they're about, and what makes them tick. He'll know of their God. But what he's saying here is, I don't recognise this so-called God as anyone worth listening to. So Moses and Aaron go to him again. They, they think, surely he's misunderstood what we've said. This is God, remember. And so, and so they say it again. They said, this is the God of the Hebrews you're messing with. Let us go and sacrifice to him. Don't you know what will happen to you? If we don't, if you don't let us go, God will come after us with plagues and swords and it's not worth thinking about. 
Now, in that, thought, that verse there, Moses says us about those plagues and swords and so on. And I don't think he's referring there to the Hebrews. It's not them who will face the consequences. And you see that by the, what actually happens when they, he doesn't let them go and who, who, who the plagues affect and so on. Moses and Aaron are warning Pharaoh what will happen to anyone who opposes God. But still Pharaoh doesn't cave. In fact, he says, get back to work. Another way that could be translated is something like, go and serve me. And what we see here in the first four verses of this chapter is the setup for the next ten chapters of the book of Exodus. Pharaoh has declared that the battle is on. He and God are in the ring. In one corner is God who is saying, these are my people, and I will do what it takes to rescue them from your tyrannical rule, Pharaoh. There's God in one corner, but in the other corner is Pharaoh. And in in Egypt, Pharaoh is recognised as God. He was to be worshipped. And so Pharaoh is saying, I don't recognise you, I'm God. They'll serve me as my slaves. I will not let the Hebrews go. The battle is on. Who will the people serve? Will it be God or will it be Pharaoh? Now here in 21st century Hartlepool, all of this can feel a bit removed from us. Whatever you think of our government, we are not in the same situation. We don't have a despot who can, who can do what they want. We live in a democracy and eventually if we don't like our leader, we can vote them out. We don't have to serve them. For us, in many ways, the situation is different to the situation that the Hebrews faced. But in other ways, the situation is no different at all. You see, for us, there isn't necessarily a person who is setting themselves up as God for us to serve, but there are plenty of other things, plenty of other gods that people in Hartlepool, in Britain, are serving instead of God. And so the question each of us needs to ask ourselves today is, who are you serving? What do you serve? Let's take a minute to just think about some of the things that you might answer that question with. Maybe it's the tide of public opinion that you serve. It's probably true that every generation thinks this, but I think in recent years the pressure has been increasing and increasing on everyone to serve this God. Social media and cancel culture has made us more and more sensitive, I think, to what the right way to think about issues of the day is. We're scared to to put our head above the parapet. We're scared to say something different to the consensus of public opinion. We just don't want to stand out. We don't want to be thought of as bigoted or out of touch or discriminatory. We, we fear being cancelled. We fear the, the backlash we might receive if we show that we think differently on the issues of the day. When we're serving this God, we just swim with the tide. We might even be part of the crowd who are trying to stifle debate and punish those who think differently. If this is the God that you serve, you may try to silence or humiliate or, or not engage in, in reasonable debate with people whose opinions flow against the current. But the problem is, in many of these issues, 
It's clear that God has spoken. And at any point in history that you're living in, there will be things that God says that are different to the way that the tide of public opinion is flowing. And so the question on those issues is, will we serve God and stand with him, even when what we say is unpopular, because we trust that as the creator of everything, he knows what best, even if we don't understand it, or will we go along with the crowd? Will we not rock the boat in order to have an easier life? That's one thing people say. Let me take another. How about money? Many people in our society live their lives in service to money. People work harder and harder to get that extra promotion for, to get that promotion for the extra cash so that we can get the whatever it is, the fancier car, the, the nicer house, the new furniture, the nest egg for security in case something goes wrong. We think that we can neglect our families to earn a bit more or, or fiddle the tax return or we try to treat the, uh, cheat the tradesmen out of their fair wage so that we have more money in the bank or we, or we uh, don't pay for the streaming subscription, uh, we just use someone else's, also that we have a bit more money in the bank. And with that money comes security and happiness and fulfilment. And so we serve the money. We live for it. We let our pursuit of it or our holding on to it shape the way we make decisions. And it means that we live in ways that go against God's call on our lives. Because in the end, what we really serve is money and not God. Let's take one more example of something that people serve. Maybe it's status. Now, this is a chameleon, this one. It can look different depending on what your phase of life is or what your circumstances look like. But many of us serve status. For the parent, it might be that you want to be seen as sorted and doing everything right for your child. You're using the right parenting techniques. You're ensuring they have the right mix of extracurricular activities. You're attentive to their emotional needs. You manage to do all of this alongside having a tidy house and keep fit and being well presented. You want that status. And so that's what you project to the world. That's what you spend your life pursuing. You're, you neglect other responsibilities because what matters is your parenting. You're harsh to your spouse. As long as you're seen to be sorted and on it as a parent, you serve that status. Or maybe the status that you're serving is your career. You want to climb the ladder, get the extra qualifications, manage more people, be recognised as successful and important and influential. You serve this goal and other things get set aside, neglected in pursuit of it. In Exodus 5, the battle is on. Who will win the service of God's people? Who gets to be God? Pharaoh, the self-proclaimed God of Egypt, or Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews? The battle is on in Exodus 5, but the battle is on in your life too. Who will you serve? But here's the thing. When we look around at the world that we live in, these other gods that we serve so often seem so powerful. 
It feels like these gods that we pursue really do have the power to make or break us. They feel so strong. It really feels like if we want to be happy, if we want to have security, if we want to be accepted or have meaning in life, then we need to serve these gods. If we are not pursuing money or status or or going along with the tide of public opinion or whatever it is for you, it feels like unless we serve these gods, then we'll be missing out. That life will be hard and it will be a struggle. And you know what? Sometimes that is the case. If we don't pursue those gods, sometimes that's the case. In Exodus chapter 5, the people are trying to make a break from serving Pharaoh by going to be with their God. And what happens to them? Things get even tougher for them. It goes from bad to worse. Moses and Aaron ask Pharaoh to let the people go, but instead of letting them go, he piles the pressure on. They have to continue with that back-breaking work of making bricks. But now, they have to make exactly the same number of bricks without the raw materials that they need to make them. They have to go and collect the straw themselves. And when they don't achieve it, which of course they were never going to, they're beaten. And the same can happen to us when we try to make a break from serving these gods that we see in our culture. If we choose to serve God and go against the tide of public opinion, then it may well mean that we are made unpopular. If we choose to serve God and not money, then it may mean that things are tighter for us, that we can't keep up with the Joneses. If we choose to serve God and not status, then it may mean being vulnerable and real and sometimes being looked down upon as a parent. or um, in your, It may mean others climbing the corporate ladder ahead of you or whatever it is. Our status that we were so clinging to before might be taken from us and we are looked down on instead. Even if God is the true God, sometimes these other gods seem so much more powerful than him, just like Pharaoh did to the Hebrews. When we stop serving these gods, sometimes life gets harder, not better. That's what happened for the Hebrews. But look how they respond. Look down at verse 19. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And we're just going to um, dip into our passage for next time, um, just to see how Moses responds as well. Look at verse 22. As Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. The Hebrews blame Moses and Aaron, but in doing so, they're also blaming God. They're saying that God isn't able to do what Moses said he could do, and Moses should have never suggested otherwise. They're believing that Pharaoh is more powerful 
They think that God can do nothing about their situation, and they're furious that Moses and Aaron would have done something to make a bad situation worse for them. Now, that's not right. They shouldn't have responded like that, but you can almost understand it. But Moses' response is even more shocking. He directly blames God. But before we're too quick to judge, I think we need to examine our own hearts as well. You see, I, I, I think that sometimes when we are faithful to God, when we choose to serve him, then whatever else is our God, and then when things don't go well, we too can be quick to blame God. We think, I've done my part, why hasn't God done his? Let's take one example. Maybe it's in relationships. Sometimes being um, in a romantic relationship is the God that we serve. Our culture tells us that fulfilment will only come if we are sexually active or if we're involved with someone. We might think that to be single is to miss out. But God says that as Christians, singleness is also a gift. Sex and romantic relationships, he says, are good, but the correct place for them is marriage. And so let's say you choose to listen to God and to serve him. But then you feel lonely. There's talk of meaningful friendships within church, church family that is intimate, that should mean that there are people there for you, but often you feel let down. You really want to honour him in a Christian marriage, maybe, but the right person just doesn't seem around and you feel left frustrated with God. You've chosen to serve God, but life has just got harder as a result. And you're angry with him. Why hasn't he come up trumps for you? Well, Moses and the people have sought to serve God, sought to escape the service of Pharaoh, and it's led to life getting harder for them, and so they are angry at God. Moses even has the audacity to accuse God of being the one who has made their life harder. And so what do you do when life goes this way? When you're choosing to serve God, but you feel like life is getting harder precisely because of that decision to serve him. What do you do? What do you do when those things that you're rejecting seem stronger and that it would be so much easier to give in and serve them? What do you do? Well, actually, in a way, it's not about what you do. As with most things in the Christian life, it's about what God does. And again, we're going to briefly uh, dip into the passage for next time. We're not going to look in, into any detail. I don't want to steal Ben's thunder or Michael's or whoever's it is. Um, but to get to grips with chapter 5, I think we do need to just dip our toes in chapter 6. Let's see what God does in response to this uh, unreasonable anger from Moses and the people. Read with me from chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. 
I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Here's the situation. God has heard the groans of the people and he has acted. He has sent Moses and Aaron to confront Pharaoh. He's equipped them with signs. He's proven himself to the people by performing, performing miracles to, the, to show that he is real and he is powerful and that he can do what he's saying he can do. He's done all of that. And then they're met with the first hurdle, the first sign of resistance and Moses and the people have lost their nerve. They've thrown their towel in with God, they've given up the fight, and they've blamed God. But God is incredibly gracious to them. God would have been well within his rights to have thrown in the towel with them, to have given Moses a firm talking to. Haven't I proven to you how powerful I am? Didn't I tell Pharaoh who, didn't I tell you that Pharaoh would put up a resistance? How dare you accuse me? How dare you blame me? God could have sacked Moses. He could have chosen someone else to act for him. He could have chosen a different people who would show more respect to the Lord Almighty, the beginning and the end, the Lord of hosts. He could have given up on this faithless nation. And he could do the same to us. How many times have you grumbled at God at the way he's making your life go? How many times have you been unhappy with God's plan for you? How many times have you turned to those other gods that seem so appealing, so strong, that will give you an easier life? Well, could throw in the towel with us as well. But here's the wonderful thing about the God of Moses, the God of the Hebrews, about our God. Rather than laid on thick with Moses about how out of line he is, rather than sack him, he gently, patiently, kindly seeks to win him over again. He explains the plan. He reminds him of his promises and he assures him that he is still for him, that he will still rescue the people. You see, God's rescue of the Hebrews wasn't because they deserve it. It wasn't because he saw some extraordinary faith in them, that he wanted them on his side, that he thought they were worthy of his rescue. It wasn't because they trusted him enough. No, it was despite the fact that they were weak and fickle and quick to desert him. If you don't believe that, read the rest of the Old Testament and you'll see it over and over again. And God's exactly the same with us. In the New Testament, in Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul says this, he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God was rescuing this nation from slavery in Egypt. He did it because of his kindness and grace, not because of their worth. He pressed on even in the face of their rejection. And we need rescuing from an even greater slavery, slavery to sin. 
just like the Hebrews, we so often show that we too aren't worthy of God's affection or even his attention. So often we turn to other gods for happiness or satisfaction or worth, and yet that doesn't stop him. He patiently, he gently pursues us. Again and again, he extends the hand of forgiveness and welcome. And seeing this, and knowing this, matters so much when we're faced with that question of who will we serve. When we're seeking to serve God and it's hard. When we're, when rejecting serving others, when rejecting serving other gods looks stupid, like we're deliberately choosing the hard path, we need to see who the one that we are choosing to serve is. So, when you choose to pursue God's way in relationships and you feel lonely and fearful for your future, when you serve God rather than money and you can't keep up with the Joneses and you feel like you're missing out, when you don't serve the God of status and people think less of you, when you don't go with the flow of society and people unfriend you or look at you in disbelief, when you do any of those things, you need, in that moment, to be reminded that the true God that we see in the Bible, the true God that supremely we see in Jesus, is worth the hardship. Sometimes choosing to serve God will mean that life gets harder. And sometimes... We'll just give in because of that. We'll blame God. We'll return to the other gods. But whether you are in a phase of life where you're pursuing God, even when it's hard, or whether you're in a phase of life where it's been too tough, and like Moses and like the people, you're throwing accusations at God. You're wishing you didn't bother. This is what we need to hear. However tough it gets, God is for you. He knows what he's doing. He patiently, gently wants to encourage you to keep going. He wants to forgive where you failed. And he wants to lead you on in his way, just like he did with Moses. And here's the wonderful thing. The story of Exodus shows that in the end it's worth it. Stuff continues to be hard for the Hebrews. It does for a lot of chapters, a long time yet. And that might be true in your life too. But in the end, in this story, God is seen to be the victor. He remains kind and gracious. He, he continues to be concerned for his people. And in the end, he gets them out of that pit and he brings them to the home that he's made for them, the promised land. And that will be our story too. The things that you're finding hard as you seek to serve God might go on for some time. Press on, knowing that the one that you serve is so much better than these gods you're turning away from. He is kind and gracious, and he will not let you down, even if it's hard. But press on knowing this, too. One day, your service of him will be vindicated. God will be revealed for who he is. The pain and the trouble will end and we will be brought into that promised land, the new creation. Press on until that day. Let me pray.